going fission. Australia's Nuclear Technology Podcast. Hello listeners. The next few episodes, today's included, are a slight deviation from my standard fare. I took a drive out to La Trobe Valley to speak with a number of people who have been involved in Victoria's brown coal-fired electricity generation from as far back as the SEC or State Electricity Commission days. And this is appropriate because at the time of recording, this was just prior to the Victorian state election, and the Labor government had promised if re-elected they would revive the SEC. First up I interview Ray Burgess, who used to work for the SEC back in the day, and when was he was made redundant during the Kenneth era of privatisations, purchased the local news agent and has been running it ever since. Please enjoy. Welcome to Going Fishing, Ray. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, pleased to be talking to you. Look, if we could just kick off, can you just give us a brief look into who is Ray Burgess today? Mm-hmm. Ray Burgess, well, I'm a born and bred Gippslander, uh, born at Trafalgar, lived and worked and studied in Morwell for 45 years. Uh, worked at the SEC for 15 years. Um, uh, I bought more news agencies of where we are today uh, in 1993, so 30 years as a news agent. So I'm a, pretty much a local here in Moore now. Excellent, excellent. So obviously you've uh, um, you've worked in, in your own business in your news agency for the last 30 years, but can you tell us about your history with Victorian energy production and your work here in Morewell back in the day? In the day, well, I studied at uh, what was then the Gippsland Institute out at Churchill and RMIT, those two uh, institutions. Great institution. Um, yeah, and um, then joined the SEC, the State Electricity Commission, uh, in uh, 1978, worked in um, uh, Yulorn Power Station and Yulorn W Power Station, and then came and worked at a, a central uh, lab here in Morwell, doing investigative work into uh, breakdowns and corrosion and stuff like that. So you still have that technical expertise or that technical ex- um, exposure to power in a uh, in uh, well, in, in in that in that sense, you know, I'm a long-term news agent, but I'm interested in science and technology. So um, I've long had an interest in um, energy production, electricity production, and you know, what's what's going to happen going forward. For an uninformed audience, because um, it's not just Australians that listen to the, to this podcast, what and where is that La Trobe Valley? Well, um, the La Trobe Valley is the, um, it's the hub of um, energy, electricity, uh, electrical energy production um, in Victoria, and it's based on our massive uh, resources of brown coal. And uh, it was developed by um, the Electricity Commission. Was developed by Sir John Monash in the uh, 1920s, and the Electricity Commission itself was uh, an aggregation of all the little companies that were that were uh, forming to um, deliver electricity. And Sir John Monash, great man that he was, uh, combined that into the State Electricity Commission. And the um, development of power stations and open cut mines. Um, has sort of stemmed from there under the control of the uh, State Electricity Commission. La Trobe Valley is the uh, electrical energy hub uh, for for Victoria. So um, there's uh, several power stations that are are still uh, running in in, uh, the La Trobe Valley, Luoyang A, Luoyang B, or W station. I'm not sure the exact percentage, probably 60 to 70 percent of uh, of the state's energy, electrical energy, comes from where we are here. So um, and that's historically come from that um, 
the time that Sir John Monash um, developed the SEC, developed the brown coal, essentially sort of stole the technology off the Germans after the First War and adapted it for our purposes. Brown coal is special in its own way because it's it's two thirds um, moisture, and so. Um, the combustion technology is such that we need bigger boilers, and it's, it's slightly different to um, hard coal. Yeah, hard, hard coal, black, black coal, anthracite coal. Yeah, so, um, so, and you'll see when you uh, have you driven past any of the power stations yet? I did. Yeah, yeah. These are big, they're huge. And if you drive past a power station in in New South Wales, you'll you'll note how little they are compared to our our big uh, boilers, the big that are required for the brown coal and the moisture that accompanies that. So the engineering concerns when you when you consider the type of fuel you have to use, you have to make certain engineering concerns to accommodate that. Absolutely, absolutely. And 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 that, and that um, knowledge um, and technology and um, and uh, uh, Coal burning, um, uh, the coal burning knowledge that was acquired. We we had our um, our Herman Research Laboratory, so we, we've we've really fine tuned what's required. We, we with in consultation with the Germans, um, uh, what's required to, to get the best out of our coal. Can you describe the people and the community and how you know them? Well, as a news agent, I'm a I'm a um, uh, I'm, a, I'm a conduit of the voice of, of the people. Uh, lots of folk come and talk to me about the issues that they have, the worries that they have. Um, I suppose, in a, in a way, coming from the power um, industry, I sort of understand that that part of the psychology. You know, people, if you remember that, probably in the in 1940s, uh, before. Um, Moore was built, Moore Power Station and Brickett Factory. Um, Moore was just a humble little um, village, basically. And so when that development came, when all that construction came with Moore and the Brickett Factory and Hazelwood Power Station, that brought lots of people from different places. Uh, the town expanded rapidly. Um, everyone had jobs. It was a thriving um, industrious place. It was it was a good place to be in the 60s and 70s. So it's kind of like um, it the provision of energy or this the the ability to provide energy to Victoria and Australia more broadly elevated Morewell's state as a community beyond say just agriculture to something greater. Yeah sure ab absolutely and, and in fact the the, the um, central <coughs> central um, Part of the SEC management was based in Moore, so in one instance, the sort of um, Moore was the, the kings of the valley, and um, back then it was a, um, the SEC was um, a central controller of the power station, so they had men and women in each of the, the power station sites, but Moore was the central place, and uh, certainly when the uh, when the SEC was privatised by Jeff Kennett. Um, that more lost that status, and and the power stations then become owned by individual companies, and so the whole thing was sort of disaggregated. That what the SEC was was disaggregated, and a lot of the jobs that uh, that were generated by the, the SEC uh, uh, disappeared, including my, including mine. Yeah. Mm. So, well, that's what. So the provision of energy or the ability to provide energy was very good in terms of the economy for, for Morwell. Yeah. But what did Morwell then give back to the rest of Victoria? Well, I think what you've got to remember is that um, the very what, apart from the fact that there's a lot of water in, in brown coal, uh, it's cheap. And so what this 
uh, allowed us to do um, with the, um, the development of Hazelwood Power Station and then Yalorn and then Loyang was we've had cheap electricity. And so if you look at um, the manufacturing in the 60s and 70s, Victoria basically was the, the leading place uh, in the country, in Australia, um, for that manufacturing because of our, to some degree, because of our um, cheap energy. And so if we if we look at the wealth of Victoria and how why we're positioned as we are, a lot of that can stem from Morwell. And it's not just Morwell, it's Morwell, Yalorn, Maui, Tarelgan, Churchill. These are the these are the towns that have largely uh, supported the um, the power industry. So we're gonna move on to this term that may fire you up a little bit, but the <laughs> just transition. Yeah. Is it being delivered? Who are the winners? Who are the losers? Yeah, well, I think when you take, for example, the, uh, the Hazelwood Power Station closed down. 2017? Yeah, 2017, um, 29th of March, 31st of March, 2017. Um, with that went $120 million in um, wages that uh, was coming out into the, the people of the valley. And so if you look at uh, that money, the, the money, I suppose, in the census was, was I would, would call round money. People would get that money. They would spend that money. So they would spend it with me, and then I would spend it. I'd buy a new car, or I'd buy a new TV, or I, and so, so the circulatory nature of that money ceased. And so, since then, there's been uh, there's been some some work. There's been de decommissioning people, so there's been some some workers, but we lost probably a thousand jobs. And so there's all those folk that um, haven't got that disposable money now that they had that they had then. So, so in terms of the wealth of the of the community, it, it, it was really hit. And you've got to remember that, so we're, we're manufacturers here in the valley, and it's when you manufacture things, when you create, you create wealth by manufacturing, and we manufactured electricity. that, And we set that electricity out and reaped the wars of it through our wages and our endeavours back here in our, um, in our hometowns. So, you know, with that gone, uh, and, and decreasing, and with the, with the, uh, the downplaying of coal as a, as a resource, it doesn't look that good for us, does it? Can you identify any winners of the just transition? Well, it certainly isn't uh, the people of Victoria or the people of Australia, because if, if we transition, uh, if we have an energy transition that expects wind and solar to be able to deliver what coal or gas or fossil fuels can to the electrical system, we're being fools because it can't do it. And so the winners will be the folk that um, have got investments and, um, and uh, assets in uh, wind and solar, and the losers will be the average punter public and business too that have to pay the prices for the power that's surely going to be really expensive. The history of the energy debate in Australia, can you sort of talk about when you sort of started to notice it and how you've seen it evolve? Well, I, th I think um, from, from my perspective, the, the pointy end of, of um, when it, it hit home to me was when all my customers that worked at Hazelwood uh, got the word of, that they were uh, being shut down and that that seemed like a premature closure to me. Now, in the meantime, the um, wind and solar had been developing and overseas had been developing. Um, oh yeah, well, it's, it's coming along. But I didn't see it as the threat that's 
the existential threat that it is now to our, uh, our well-being our, and our prosperity because we can't have a wind and solar, uh, even if it's firmed, um, grid, it's not going to work. So in a nutshell, it was those folk that are coming in who's, uh, they, uh, Anji uh, announced that they were going to close the power station down and, and I had all these, they were all terrified, they, they all thought they had five or ten more years of, 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 um, of working life there and uh, they, they were coming into me, who's standing up for us, who's, who's saying for, you know, saying, putting our point of view forward and, and so then I become uh, quite active in, um, in uh, well, we, we developed a, a small group of former um, SEC engineers and uh, technical people to try and uh, see what we could do to um, uh, help with, the, with this, this closure. Um, so the, the, the pointy end come, and then of course, when it come, and uh, in the March of 2017, we also had um, almost instantly a, a rise in um, wholesale um, electricity prices from 40 megawatts, $40 per megawatt hour to $80 per megawatt hour. Just essentially overnight? But essentially overnight. Wow. Uh, yeah, and so so straight away we, we went from having, it's a supply and demand issue I suppose, because the um, yeah, you know, the Hazelwood was available to 1,200 megawatts, 1,600 rated, but it was operating at about 1,200 megawatts. Um, and it operated, in that last six months of its operation, it operated at 1,200 megawatts and made a mozza, you know, yep. cleaned up in its last, in, as it was closing down. Great for energy. Pardon? Great for energy. Yeah, great, great for energy. <laughs> well, it would have helped them to pay for the, uh, pay for the, um, the, the, the cleanup that they required to clean up half a billion dollars or more. But you know, the, the cynic in, in me says that if you knock, they were selling at the time Loyang B, which they owned, um, and uh, if you knock 1200 megawatts out of the system, it's sort of got to affect the supply and demand uh, aspect of the whole grid. And I, I'm thinking that um, that they probably got a bit more for um, Loyang B than, than they would otherwise if, if Hazel was a competitor. The anti-coal or, or the green movement started well before 2017. They absolutely did. Yes, they did. Does the green movement have a strong presence in the valley? We, we wouldn't be talking about an energy transition in the, in the valley. We would be talking about coal. And, and most of the folk in the valley would realise that, that wind and solar that, that doesn't sort of work. So if you, look at the, if you look at the green vote at the last election, which I, I happened to run in um, as an independent on a coal platform, um, if you look at the green belt, it was 3.4%. It was very small. And so um, the green um, idea in the valley here really doesn't have a whole much traction. So, um, so I, 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 I guess um, I was waiting for this to come, um, waiting for it to, to come. And when it, when it arrived, the reality of the, the sudden announcement arrived, that, that was the shock. So I, I, don't, I don't think I had a strong view on um, wind and solar, other than the fact that it, 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 would, it wouldn't work. Is the Green push a city-based movement? Well, this is, the, this is the problem. If you look at um, coal-fired generation, they're all regional, um, they're, all, they're all in the regions. There's no uh, nestled into next to down at um, Nunnawading. Okay, where the coal or, resources. Yeah, well, well, of course you do, and, and you, you generally build your power stations nearby. Um, and so, um, you know, the if you've if you've got regional people that are and our 
our livelihoods are, are dependent on it, then of course they're going to be, um, they're going to feel strongly about a coal and you're going to have, you know, protests and so forth. But in reality, we're just working people. We're just, and so the, the big people that are making the big decisions, uh, the politicians that are making the big decisions, like Andrews couldn't get the, um, the uh, Hazelwood Power Station decommissioned quickly enough and, and basically destroyed because it might, it might have had a chance of you know, being resurrected. It probably still had five to ten years of life in it. So, you know, they, they and, and it's annoying for us that, that our livelihoods and our prosperity is being determined by people that, that don't sort of even understand energy and, and advocate for a, uh, an energy system that's not going to work. You mentioned um, at the closure of Hazelwood and your customers coming in, they thought they had you know, five to ten years mm -hmm. to go. How much notice did they receive that the station would be closing? Well, they basically, it was a six-month notice. Six it was, months. It was basically, uh, I think they announced it in September and it was closing in the March. So I'm not sure of, um, of Angie's motive here. Um, it could, there could have been an industrial relations component to it. Um, not sure that um, it could have been the, the fact that they were um, selling Loyang B that would have aided to it. Um, they have a, a, an international idea that they're getting out of coal, so it, it suited that narrative. Um, but for us uh, to have it closed so quickly, it was a, a powerful, it was a real punch in the stomach, if you like. Does that is that a betrayal of what the just transition should be? Well, if if you do any if you do any um, reading of just transitions, you you'll understand that there's very few of them are a happy ending for the people who are transitioning, and um, you know the likes of South Wales, the likes of Detroit, the likes of the Ruhr Valley, and you can go on talking about industrialised areas that have deindustrialised. Um, now the the folk to the left generally don't get a get a good get a good go. Now the government, um, Andrew's put in, um, he gave us a, a certain amount of money, 240 million he, he, um, he gave to the, what he, he termed the Latrobe Valley Authority, which was a, a government, uh, I think it was under the um, auspices of the, um, his, his, his portfolio, the, um, the Premier's um, portfolio. Um, and they, they dished out money to try and help. But what the people, what the people wanted w were jobs. What, what people wanted jobs. And so a just transition, in my mind, is a transition to where the people that were employed before have got jobs. And, then, and the social and economic um, structure of, of what you've got is not destroyed. Throwing money at the issue is not a solution. Well, it, it, it's part, in a sense, it, um, it, it's always, it is a solution if you're going to um, subsidise a, a business that's going to bring um, a jobs to the valley, mm. or, or you're going to um, support ideas that, um, that are going to create new opportunities for business. And when it's all said and done, businesses, governments don't, don't create jobs, businesses create jobs. So. Government creates the condition for businesses to prosper, and so if they do that, then uh, businesses will prosper. They, at the last election, um, they promised us 500 jobs uh, assembling electrical vehicles. Now, how many of those 500 jobs do you think we've ended up with? 
Is it a non-zero value? <laughs> uh, no, it's a zero value. So, that, so it didn't happen. And so that's the sort of, um, that type of support where you, you're subsidising um, businesses into an area, and it might be whatever, you know, it might help them with their buildings or rates or power or whatever it might be to get them started and get them going. That was the sort of thing that you, um, that you wanted to hear from the government, but we didn't get that. Who made that promise? Ah, oh, the, the Andrews government. The, 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 Andrews, the Andrews government have all along said they wanted a, a just transition. And, and you know, is it, a, is it a just transition? Well, I couldn't really see it at the moment. Because a lot of the folk that had jobs before, they, they, if, they, if they've found employment, that it hasn't been in the area that they were um, that they were skilled and trained in. And you've got to remember that a lot of these guys that were uh, running power plant and mining equipment, it's a pretty specialised skill. And so, you know, they they highly technically skilled people, but it's specialised, and, and those sorts of jobs don't don't come along. So really, we needed we needed the government to give us something uh, in a technical um, a, a technical frame that we could go with. Um, one thing I was hopeful for was the the APM had a um, had a project uh, where, where they're going to burn waste from um, from Melbourne and release uh, lignin, which they they burn for their own purposes, their own power generation purposes, and that lignin could then be developed into a, a manufacturing, which is done overseas, and so that was, to me was exciting because that that that, that could have um, allowed us to have a situation where we. Um, where we had a, a chance for a whole range of jobs, right from storemen to right through to highly technical people um, that could develop this this industry, but it didn't happen. Either the support to the APM um, Australian Paper or now Opal um, wasn't enough, or well, I'm not sure what happened. But that's the type of um, development that I believe would enable a just transition. You mentioned this before, or you touched on this before, when you said that it's business and industry that creates prosperity. Mm -hmm. Do you think Australians, more broadly, we get to take our prosperity a bit for granted? I think that's probably a fair comment. I, 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 I think I think we do because we, we we haven't really ever known any tough times, and, and we're fortunate we have our um, natural resources. Uh, to so our, our trade, our international trade um, means that we've got, you know, we, we've got this money coming in from overseas, and it, and it's ongoing. There's massive, there's massive resources: coal, iron ore, um, uranium, aluminium. So it, it goes on. What do you think is at stake for your community on its current trajectory? For the valley, or for, yeah, for, for more well on the valley, yeah. More valley. Well, I, I don't. I, th I think it'll be, um, government don't create jobs. Uh, the biggest employer in Gippsland at the moment is now the Latrobe Valley um, Hospital. Um, you could probably have argued that the Electricity Commission once held that, held, held that honour, but, but no longer. Um, um, government jobs don't create wealth. Wealth's created when you manufacture something. Um, so unless we unless we have that, and if you look at traditionally, we've, we've manufactured um, uh, agri agricultural. We've had in Gippsland, um, we've had electricity, and we've had um, paper from the um, from the mill. So we so we have manu we have had a manufacturing um, uh, base to to draw our prosperity from. 
So without that, um, I, I, I'm not that hopeful, to be quite frank. Mm. Mm. Unless we can, I mean, we're sitting on 800 years of brown coal, so um, if we can, if we can um, utilise that in a, in a way that um, that's consistent with what the, the people of the country want, then um, that that might be an opportunity for us. But at the moment, coal is a very much a, um, a dirty word. You've mentioned to me in the past that you consider yourself a coal guy or an mm. advocate for coal, but. Yeah. Is it coal in and of itself, or is it more for you about industry and capability and jobs? Like, if something else other than coal could provide that in the valley, does that bother you? Uh, no, no. Uh, and, and I think the, the, the reason I'm a, I'm a coal man is that I can see coal as being capable of um, generating the electricity that we need in, a, in the timeliness that we need, in the manner that we need to service our first world country. And if we're going to have um, smelt aluminium and manufacture reduce iron to um, steel, steel um, then we're going to need engineering energy. And wind and solar aren't going to give us engineering energy. So, so more recently, I've been um, I've been advocating. Well, if, if coal isn't, and, and we live in a democracy, if if coal is not the is not the um, vehicle that can give us that energy, then we need to look at the vehicle that can. It's not wind and solar. So I've been advocating nuclear energy um, as a source of, uh, of uh, heat and um, electrical energy that can help our country. In terms of engineering energy or producing energy, you think um, there is an option or a role for uranium and nuclear to play that. Mm -hmm. We've got lots of these, these resources in the world. We actively aren't utilising them, at no. least domestically. You know, why do you think this is? Well, that, that's a big issue. Mm. It's, it's a big issue. Why, why isn't uranium acceptable? Um, you know, there's, there's the, historically there's been, you know, failures of nuclear plant. There's been, we've had a war where there was a massive bomb and, and, and the, the people that come from that um, age, you know, they're, they're fearful. There's, there's a lot of uncertainties, a lot of, a lot of unknowns with nuclear energy. Um, and so until we until we have a discussion about nuclear energy, we won't we won't um, uh, change what we've got. Moment it's a prohibition, so we by law we can't use nuclear energy. So there needs to be a, a big change there to to enable us to use um, to use our nuclear resources. But we, if we, we we need energy that when we when we call for it, we, we've got it. So we need a thousand megawatts of of, of electrical uh, energy. For a, a a plant somewhere, we can call on it and we've got it. That's the important thing, and and that and that's what nuclear can give us, coal can give us, gas can give us, um, wind wind and solar, um, hydro can give us, um, wind wind and solar can't give us. If we're going to be a first world country and and and, and have the um, the production of these metals, especially, um, but it's not it's not just it's not just metals. It's if the price goes up too much, think of all the the little businesses that rely, like the bakers, that rely on um, a lot of them rely on gas um, and electricity. How are they going to manage if, if they if they if they can't afford the the, the power to um, to provide you know to, to 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 bake their bread? I'd like to focus more on this term engineering energy and get a stronger definition for it. Can it be defined as an energy source that is available, abundant, and reliable? and therefore is suitable 
for heavy industry manufacturing those sort of industries unlike something that is inherently intermittent such as wind and solar well in in the sense that they they um they won't that you can't have wind and solar to draw on when, when you want it. Now they're, they're talking about having uh, gas fired backup, fossil fuel backup, uh, um, hydro backup, which does give you the energy that you need, but it's not the engineering energy that's there as required. So you've got to remember that there's around Australia, I'm not sure how many power stations there are, maybe 20, yeah, sorry, um, 20 or, or maybe 30. And, and these are all contributing to the grid, and they're they're all pu putting in. You know, it's it's um, it's engineering. They're all they're all spinning at you know, three thousand revs. So there's all this uh, reserve that can that can take up take up the energy required. So do you think there's an opportunity for nuclear energy in Latrobe Valley? Do you think you could just substitute in for coal? Well, there is there's some argument to, to have um, the Latrobe Valley as um, a place where you where you develop your um, nuclear facility because of the um, transmission infrastructure. There's probably four and a half billion dollars in transmission infrastructure that we've already we already have in place. So that would be a good opportunity to, to uh, have some savings. Um, it's it's the discussion that everybody's got to have the, the NIMBY discussion. You know, could you build a nuclear power station in um, Fitzroy or or Brunswick? Of course, you couldn't. Even if you had the land available, there would be an absolute outcry. Um, so you need to have the discussion with the people. The people have to be um, confident that um, that it's safe. Um, I, I think there's a great opportunity for for jobs, and there's a, a great opportunity for jobs like like our um, our uh, use of the APM. Um, resource because the, the opportunity there is for um, right from the, the, the lower workers through to your scientists as uh, a spectrum of work and so which is sort of what we had before with the, the old um, uh, SEC round golf uh, fired power stations. You work in the news agent you understand a lot of what the uh, um, you know, the Vox Populi or the general people in the community are saying. Mm -hmm. Can you gauge sort of what the sentiment towards nuclear power through the local population is, and mentioned it's no probably not going to happen in Brunswick. Yeah, what about no, not in Brunswick. What, um, what do people say to you in your in, in your news agency? Yeah, I, I think most of the people that work um, in the uh, power industry would would say that nuclear is is fine. Is that we should be looking because they understand what works. They understand that wind and solar can't deliver our first world energy electricity. Um, requirements so that they, they get that they see the size of these power stations they see these are big thermomechanical plants lots of energy being converted um, so they, they they would pretty much say yes and then a, and, and I'm thinking that the unions would too because a lot of those folk could sort of trans, transfer over the um, uh, over to uh, running electrical um, nuclear energy plant it's interesting you mentioned the unions because there seems to be a bit of a schism in Australia between our unions. You've got the MEU, which is local to Morwell, mm. and they're mm. very pro-nuclear power and they've mm. you know, made um, appropriate or positive submissions to the inquiries mm. had in recent years. Mm. Uh, similar with the, I think it's the ACTU as well. 
Uh, but the broader CFMEU and even the ETU or the Electrical Trades Union still seems to be very against it. Do you have any comment on that? Do you yeah, not not really. This is this is a, a matter uh, a matter for them, I guess. So mm. it's a bit of uh, you know, there's a bit of, there'll be a bit of personality involved in it. There'll be a bit of um, personal preference involved in it. Um, I, I I can't really. I think the sensible unionists will be will be saying this is this is what we need. But um, I'd be disappointed uh, if the union movement, more generally, for ideological reasons, didn't support um, nuclear energy. If it was an ideological um, negative response, then that would be a really poor show. Do you think Australia is an innovative nation? Do you think maybe we were in the past and we've lost that? How do you see that? Are we innovative? Well, I mean, you mentioned that stuff before with the laboratory in terms of, um, uh, was it where you worked for the last part of your career? Yeah, yeah, the last part. Um, I think what we what we realised there was we, we'd had our Herman Research Laboratory and, and all the great folk, that the technical knowledge that we had there. And so basically we were leveraging that technical knowledge and we were in collaboration with them. Um, in the valley to help solve real problems. So I don't think it was innovation per se, it was just an adaption of um, a technical know-how to improve what we, what we were doing. So is that innovation? Mate, it sort of, sort of is, but you know, if you're talking about innovation in terms of developing a new um, engineering process or a new product or, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, Australians seem to have to go overseas to get that, to get that development. What does that say about Australians? Well, I think we've, you know, we. They used to say about the SEC, slow, easy, and comfortable. We, <laughs> um, but but we did we did a good job. I always felt that I did a good job at the SEC, and I know plenty of the people that worked there did. Um, yeah, I, I think we we have a, a, a sort of a laid back attitude to um, to life and to and, and I think we trust our our politicians. We, uh, I'm, I'm not sure as you get older you, you, you trust them less. I have to say, um, you, you trust your your um, establishment institutions, your, your legal institution, your policing institution, institutions, your police force. Um, so I think you know we, we feel comfortable in, in in that we're a place that can give people a fair go, and we, you know, if you if you've got a bit of juice in you, you can achieve. Um, I, th I think that's 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 true. But in, in terms of, um, of new products, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't I don't think we could say we couldn't own that as a. We, we certainly wouldn't be as entrepreneurial as the U.S. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned the SEC there now. Well, I think by the time this goes out, it's going to be uh, after the election. But um, one of the election promises has been a revival of the SEC. Um, I mean, what do you think about that? What? How do you think this new SEC, if it goes ahead, is it going to be the same SEC or is it going to be something else? That's no, going to be worthless. Yeah, it's worthless because it's unless it can unless the conservatives can get in and change the idea of it it'll be worthless because it's going to try and promote wind and solar and wind and, wind and solar aren't going to give us our first world energy system, electrical system. So it's not going to be capable of doing it at a price that the average person can afford. And so 
while it's while this this new SEC, um, the little he's, I think Andrews has tried to sort of leverage off the nostalgia that people had for the SEC when things worked and you know everything everything went okay. Um, he's trying to leverage off that, but by by, by pushing it into a into a renewable energy uh, stream, I think he's on the wrong track. It certainly wouldn't hold any traction here in the valley. Mm. What are your thoughts on grid scale batteries such as what's being deployed at the Hazelwood power station site? <laughs> Large batteries are useful for uh, very little. They're costly. Uh, there's a lot of resources that, uh, required to build them, to make them. Um, they, um, they don't have um, a long... Um, they can't contribute to the grid in a way that's, that's um, meaningful that I can see. And we need to build like tens of thousands of them to, um, to be able to have, have them useful to us. And the cost would be prohibitive. Um, so well, in your opinion, do you think there was a right time to go nuclear? Um, I think the, the time is now. If, if the people of Australia think that we need to decarbonise, and, and, that, and that battle is won electorally, then we need to talk about other ways of generating electricity that are going to work. And, and, and so I think now's a very opportune time to be talking about nuclear. And if you look, if you look down the track, if you look at the, the 40,000 foot view and look in, in 100 years or 200 or 300 years, um, fossil, fossil fuels will be depleted and we'll need an energy source that's, that's, um, that's capable of um, of giving us the, the, the electrical energy requirements that we need. You've got to remember it's a sort of about energy density. You know, wind and solar are, are very um, not, 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 not dense. You know, it's very sparse. And if you look at uh, uranium, it, it's quite energy dense. You can get a lot of energy out of a kilo of uranium. And coal is somewhere between you know, wind and solar and uranium. So, so the big picture says that Nuclear energy will be our, our future. The recent federal election brought in a Labor government that is vociferously against nuclear power. And now the outgoing Liberal government has decided now is a very good time to actually start supporting nuclear power. Is this just some kind of failure of leadership in Australia that just seems to be ongoing? How do you sort of see that? It's disappointing that um, politicians can't grasp the requirements for a first world electrical energy system. So whether it's supported by um, coal-fired or uh, nuclear or gas, we need a system that's going to give us the energy, electrical energy that we need to, um, to um, run our country. The federal government, the current federal government, they, by not looking at, they're doing a disservice to the country by not uh, including nuclear in the um, in their decarbonisation agenda. They really need to um, examine nuclear and um, and give it the chance that it deserves to become part of our energy mix. Um, nuclear power can, as I understand it, can um, interface with uh, renewable energy, so. One of the big issues that we've had is that um, the um, 
scaling up and down of, of our um, coal-fired uh, thermal plant is really bad for it because the the plant uh, the thermal stresses that are involved in heating up cooling down as it's as it loads up and loads down in response to wind and solar uh, are, are quite damaging to, to the to this plant and so uh, it's probably bringing a premature end to a lot of that plant that's forced to function in that in that way so um, my understanding is that nuclear has a much faster response time to um, to be able to deal with that, so, so that would be an opportunity where we, where we have wind and solar that could be supported by something that works. I think just for my listeners, my understanding, it depends on how you engineer the system. So if you look at the US system, you've got uh, rigs or you've got nuclear power stations there that are designed to run as high capacity as possible, and they don't expect to ramp them up and down so much. Mm-hmm. The French choosing nuclear is a much larger portion of their fleet design them from day one to ramp up quickly mm-hmm. and ramp up and down much more quickly so they can actually do it so that's i think it's an engineering decision you make at the start of any particular project and what's i think happening with some of these new smr designs at the new scale they understand they are likely having to sell reactors into a market with high penetrations of renewables mm-hmm. and they have designed their products with that in mind yeah. to take advantage of that ramping capability mm-hmm. yeah. but yeah so it all depends on let your engineer know what yeah. you want at the start of the day yeah. before you build it. Where and how does Australia sit in the 21st century geopolitically and what is at stake? What do you what do you reckon on global politics and where does Australia stand? Um, well, it's a, it's a big, a big, it's a big, it's a big question. question for the news agent for a <laughs> um, uh, geo, Geopolitically, I think we're beating a, a drum that's... Um, and an agenda that's being generated worldwide that is um, inadequate. Um, the Chinese aren't fooled by it. Um, they're still building coal-fired power stations. They understand what works. And I don't... You know, the, 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 the threats that are made to us if we don't conform, if we don't bend to the uh, renewable agenda, um, I think... It, I think the gov- the government are, are, are sort of very wary of very wary of that, and so they want to, they want to play the game. They want to play the international political game. I think that's that I, can, that I can see. I think that's happening at COP twenty seven at the moment. Yeah. There's a um, mm. there's a lot of ignoring, continuing to ignore nuclear as a solution that should be applied here. And I think there's there's more voices coming up now, but it's not there yet. Yeah. I think there's I think there's a there's an old say follow the money. And if you if you see where the investment is and where the big money is 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 heading, um, and you trace it back, you know that that gives you an indication of, of what's going on. True. Mm. Well, look, we're coming up to sort of an end here. Thank you very much, Ray mm. Ray Burgess, for uh, appearing on Going Fishing. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Anytime. Once again, Going Fishing would like to thank Ray Burgess for making time to speak to me on this issue. This has been a Going Fishing podcast. Hosted by Logan Smith.